This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we take a closer look and dig a little deeper into this week's sermon. What's going on, Bible nerds? We are talking about Jesus's baptism today. So let's take a closer look. We may notice we're <clears throat> a little bit of a format than we typically are. Uh, some things happen, you know, COVID stuff, whatever. Um... We live in a different kind of world, so sometimes we have to record this way. Um, It'd be like that sometimes. It do be like that sometimes. So let's look at Jesus' baptism. Yeah, so if you watch this story from yesterday, you will realize that, or you will know, that I talked about baptism. Now, what kind of person in their right mind spends a valuable Sunday week of Advent talking about baptism. (laughs) Somebody who felt the need to talk about baptism. I don't know. Um, But basically, I told us a story of the history of baptism. And baptism is not unique to Jesus. Baptism is not something Jesus and John the Baptist made up. It's something that had been a common practice for hundreds of years at that point. But it looked a little bit different. Baptism at that time looked like it was commonplace. But when baptism started, it actually arose in the Old Testament time. Baptism began in <clears throat> as a purification ritual, specifically associated with the temple. There were these baptismal like dunk pools. Uh, I mentioned in the story. Clayton, we should think about them like old school uh, cattle troughs. Like, yeah. you know where, you know where, like you used to work cows and you take the cow and you funnel it through and then you'd like make it jump off into this vat of like, you know, all this medicine, antibiotics and all this stuff. You make it swim across and then get out. Yeah. You should kind of think about it like that. It's like it, it's this purification ritual that is filled with natural waters. And it has seven steps down, seven steps up. Like it is nothing special. Uh, and it's so con- I mean, you had to do it all the time. You had to do it anytime you wanted to go into the temple. If you were a convert to Judaism or if you'd done anything to defile yourself. So if you mm-hmm. ate pork, if you ate shellfish, if you had sex, if you touched blood, um, if you touched a corpse, like there were so many things that fit this, like this weird category of the law called defilement. And if you defiled yourself, you had to go through this purification ritual, which was called baptism. It's very commonplace. So Jesus doing baptism is not what's strange about Jesus getting baptized. Mm-hmm. What's strange about Jesus getting baptized is Jesus says, Hey, I'm going to take this long-standing tradition that my family, my culture, my heritage, my tradition has given me, and I'm going to do a public acknowledgement that I'm going to do it different than them. Yeah. It's Jesus stepping up and saying, hey, me and weird cousin John are going to do our own thing with this baptism stuff, and it's going to look a little bit different. 
Well, and not only does it look a little bit different, entirely less formal. Oh, one thousand percent. Because like there is the seven steps down, seven steps up. Yeah. John was baptizing people in a river <laughs> and yeah. some dirty water, some unclean water. Well, so here's the thing. It's it's funny that you mentioned that it's unclean. This is why the uh, baptismal pool had to be sourced with natural water because it could not be unclean. And this is why John chose to do it in the river because it's active water. It's moving oh, water. Moving yeah. water in the ancient world is not viewed as contaminated. Stagnancy is viewed as contaminated. So this is when when Jesus talks about being the living truth or you know living waters, he's talking about moving waters, waters that move, have natural flow and movement to them, progress. Okay. So for them to be in the river, uh, yeah, for them to be in the river actually does feel something like a um, somewhat normalcy, but it's also not because it's like the source of the water that you would have in the ritual is the same. So like maybe the way we could think about this is deconstruction, right? Like the source of our truth that we're getting is still the Bible, just like fundamentalism. But how we're garnering it, utilizing it, and participating in it looks different than us taking that water in jars and toting it miles up to pour it into this tank. Fair enough. So Jesus and John get together on the outskirts of society, and they decide they're going to do things a little bit different. Now, as I pose in the story... I got to imagine that Jesus feels some kind of anxiety about that decision. We've seen Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. We know that Jesus the human is capable of producing anxiety. Mm -hmm. Which, shout out, we're going to look at that story. That will be my Christmas morning sermon. Okay. It's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's going to be dope. Um, We know that Jesus can have anxiety. I got to imagine that Jesus and weird cousin John, who dresses in strange clothing and eats honey and locusts and all this stuff, I got to imagine that them together going to this moment in the River Jordan with multiple eyes watching, right? Because if you look at if you look at the stories of Jesus' baptism, Matthew's gospel is the only one that gives you the kind of inclination that maybe there's nobody else there. But the rest of them give you the impression. At at one point, I think it's either Mark or Luke. No, it must be Mark. But, like, there are definitely other people there. Mm -hmm. Like, the other people around hear the voice Mm -hmm. of God. Um, This is definitely a high-anxiety, high-pressure, high-stress situation for Jesus and John. This is about to be a public proclamation. Less so for John, I guess, because every day he's doing this. Like, this is his common practice, right? He's the one that comes around and starts doing baptism different. And Jesus just says, hey, I'm going to participate in this. I'm going to step in, and I'm going to make this public proclamation, and I'm going to do things a little bit different. Um, And that public proclamation is this thing we call baptism. 
Now, the thing that's unique about it for Jesus is specifically that John the Baptist is doing it with a purpose other mm-hmm. than entrance into the temple. Do you remember what his purpose is? I don't. For the forgiveness of sins. Oh, it started that early, huh? Oh, absolutely. John the Baptist is out offering a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Interesting. Jesus Jesus carries that language as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know why that missed my brain all these years. I didn't think that the baptism for the forgiveness of sins started until Peter. Nope. Nope. That's definitely a Jesus thing. That's definitely a John the Baptist thing. Interesting. So almost as if like not, well, so I guess if you eat pork, you become unclean. You're also not following the law. Therefore you sin. And so like, I can kind of see how like John's getting there in his language. Like we don't need the the sacrifices and all this stuff. We can just do baptism. Exactly. Well, and as clarification, there are parts of the law that you can commit violations against, which we call sin that are not leading to defilement. So, for example, if you lie to someone, if you, as the Ten Commandments say, bear false testimony, you've not defiled yourself, but you have committed sin. Yeah. So you wouldn't, if you just lied, you wouldn't need to go through baptism. You would need to go, you would need to offer sacrifices, but you don't need to cleanse yourself. You did not defile yourself. It is a strange, different category, specifically related to blood and corpse and death and these things. Things that can make you dirty. Quote unquote. Correct. Or things that associate you near to Hellenism. Like eating pork or something else. Like if you if you were a Jew, if you were a Greek that wanted to convert to Judaism, you had to get baptized before you could enter the temple for worship. Okay. It's about it's literally about keeping the temple pure. It has nothing to do with anything other than the purity of the temple. Because you didn't have to do it to offer sacrifices. You didn't have to do it to go to synagogue. It was literally associated with the temple in Jerusalem. Okay. But it's so commonplace and it's been grown upon and all these different things that by the time of Jesus, before Jesus starts doing it, the Greek word baptismo is already being used for it. Like, it's so commonplace that people outside the Jewish tradition have said, oh, wait, this is this thing. It's called baptism. So Jesus steps on the scene and says, hey, I'm going to participate in this ancient Jewish, this ancient religious system that we have. But I'm about to go to the beat of my own drum. I'm doing it my way on my terms. As evidenced by he gets baptized and then he goes away. In preparation for ministry, he gets baptized and the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. Every single story that tells us this story tells us that truth, that the Spirit of the Lord descended upon him like a dove and remained on him. And the voice of God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Um, If that's the case then that is a moment inaugurating Jesus into ministry. 
It is a moment that says, hey, Jesus is about to do some really cool stuff. And there's some preparation that goes in that. And because of that, he goes away into the desert. The very first thing he does is goes away into the desert for 40 days to pray and rest. This is a common theme that we see throughout Jesus. He goes away to be by himself to pray and to rest. Now, I should also say, every story, every gospel writer has this in somewhat proximity to the temptation of Jesus by the devil. And I think there's some truth to be said to that, that when we have these big moments, um, we are at our most vulnerable to temptation. Very much so believe that, right? Your lows are easier to get lower and your highs are easy to knock you down from. Um, it's very easy to enter that dark place. Um, and the rest of the story is Jesus goes into that dark place and triumphs like a king, like the honorable king that he's supposed to be in all of these stories. But the thing that I highlight in my story is that we should make it commonplace that it's okay to go and need your men. It's okay to have these moments of high anxiety where you have a situation that you walk into and you go, hey, I'm not sure how I feel about this. Like, I'm a little anxious going in here, which I propose is a lot like Christmas because I think we, like Jesus, go back home with this idea that, hey, the things that were taught to me when I was a kid, I don't live that way anymore. I'm kind of doing my own thing, kind of going to the beat of my own drum. It doesn't mean that I've forsaken Christianity. It doesn't mean that I've gotten rid of the truths that you gave me as a kid. I've just expanded upon them. I've grown them, and I'm expressing them in different ways. But lots of times that's not received. And I think Christmas is a place where that all gets brought together because this holiday literally exists around Christianity and the expression thereof. Some people don't express Christianity the same way, right? Like I know lots of people that grew up Baptist and now live Episcopalian or grew up Episcopalian and now live free church, you know, or Catholic. Well, like even, even for me, like we grew up, Baptist and still a part of the Baptist church, but like even in my own life, I practice Advent very differently than most Baptists do, like, or yeah. the Baptist category does. Yeah, uh, I most years do Advent candles this year, I've taken that too, but like just because I'm not going to be at home, yeah, but uh, I, I try to do like Advent candles and like do all the readings and all the all the special like prayers and it's a lot but it, it's very different and i find it very rewarding when that time is taken uh but it is a very different practice yeah for sure for sure so as i propose at the end my question to everyone is what steps are we going to take to ensure that we rest? Because what is unfortunate is this is a holiday 
that began as an inter as an anticipation and an honoring of the Jesus that has come and the Jesus that is coming back. And unfortunately, it has become commercialized in a way that we don't spend much time doing that. We don't spend much time reflecting on the Jesus that has come and is coming. We spend a lot of time buying gifts. We spend a lot of time talking about Santa Claus. We spend a lot of time wrapping gifts and saying they're from Santa Claus. And we spend a lot of time being busy and driving around, going to different holiday parties and all this stuff. But we don't find much time to rest and be in anticipation and celebration of the Jesus that has come and is coming again. Um, and so my question to everyone is just that. How will you ensure that you rest and make time for those moments? Ooh. Even in light of the truth that in these big moments, it's okay for you to take time for yourself. Because I think those are the same. I think taking time for yourself is good. And I also think taking time for yourself to pray is good. I don't think I said that. You know, it's so hard when you're only preaching for seven and a half minutes uh, to say everything you want to say. And that's why this podcast is this. But I, what I might say is, that I think when we take time to be alone, it is prayer. Mm. Sometimes that's more explicit than others. Sometimes that's more active and vocal than others. But being alone to process your own thoughts within your own emotions and ethic and, con and confess that later in prayer and doing that work, I think all of that is the journey of healing, which I call divine. As such, we should admit ourselves time to go away, to be alone, to pray through the holiday season. Well, go ahead. I think, I think it, it, it's especially important. Um, so like you've already talked about, like, in, in all the, the hustle and bustle of the holidays and the go and the, the taking time to just sit back. Um or take time for yourself. There is an important aspect to talk about. Like there is stress around the people that you see during the holidays. For right? sure. We comedians talk about this every year. <laughs> every year. This is not a, a thing that it should be hidden and something that we, we kind of pussyfoot around, honestly. Like, it's hard. There's a bunch of people that you see once a year, maybe two, maybe stretching three times a year. Uh, and those interactions are hard because they're asking questions that you don't feel comfortable answering. Yeah. Or maybe you're the person asking the uncomfortable questions. Yeah. And so like taking that time to be by yourself helps you ensure and prayerful time 
helps you ensure that you're in the right mindset going into these conversations to make sure that you're not the person asking those questions to that that's being that intrusive person and somebody who has no interest in your thoughts about their life right the other end of that though how do you deal with those people when they come inevitably come to you right uh being able to be more relational and understand that uh is very helpful i think and taking slow thoughtful time is really helpful absolutely and so perhaps we pose the same question how will you ensure that you make time and space um for yourself in this holiday season